Just a couple of things before we get started. I think you got my prayer card there. I, uh, I sure would appreciate your prayers. Uh, being in the, in the sphere that I work, man, I know it's a spiritual battle and it's Jesus who makes the difference. And so, uh, man, some of you, if you could put it on your refrigerator or, you know, put it in your desk or somewhere and lift up a prayer from time to time, I'd appreciate that. I, I brought uh, uh, some of my books along and I've got some up here. Uh, I wrote this uh, after Katrina. It's entitled Disaster, Betting the Farm on God in Life Storms. And it's really written for anybody going through just a disaster, a crisis in their life. And I sure don't want to take these home. So a- anybody want a copy? Stephen, could you grab them? And if I get rid of them right now, so I don't have to take them back. Who's the first one? Uh, I'm going to send around... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to send around a couple sign-up sheets. Oh, Stephen, Stephen's a man. Oh, going to fight over those. I'll send around a couple sign-up sheets. Uh, I put out, uh, I put out a, a monthly newsletter. It's not, it's not a fundraiser at all, so don't worry about that. If you want to unsubscribe, you can do that. But I just kind of want to share what God's doing and some encouragement for people in the family of God. And uh, if you're interested, just put your name and your email address on there. And uh, here, here's where we've been. Uh, your leadership, again, picked out a verse, First uh, Chronicles 12.32, talking about us becoming like the men of Issachar, the sons of Issachar, who understood their times and they knew what to do. May God build that into us as we understand our culture. And then earlier today, we had that uh, kind of minus 10 to 10, that whole spectrum. And uh, we talked more about the relational side. How do we get involved in people's lives so that there's connectivity? And so that there's engagement and we're in the world but not of the world. And I hope that was practical for you and just the encouragement to build relationships, find common ground, sow seeds, and have God begin to do something as we reach out in this great commission that we've been called to. Tonight, I want to get uh, very practical and uh, just look at this uh, topic today about sharing the verbal witness, sharing Christ. And if, if you don't have a note sheet, put your hand up and we'll get you one. But uh, I just want to jump in here. And here's the first thing. Uh, the first thing is make sure you're talking about Jesus. Make sure you're talking about Jesus. It's so easy to just have conversations be about religion or be about church or, or be about Christianity, and it not be about Jesus. Uh, the gospel is the good news, and it focuses on the person of Jesus. And it's the cross, it's the resurrection, it's about him, everything in scripture, about him, by him, for him, and to him, the whole book from beginning to end, it points there to Jesus. And Jesus is the one at the heart of the gospel. Uh, this, this message that we have, this good news, it, it's not a system. 
It's about a savior. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's not about the performance plan. It's about the Jesus plan. It's not the merit badge plan. It's the mercy plan. It's not the do plan. It's the done plan. It's not the good works plan. It's the grace plan, right? It's not just about getting to heaven when you die. It's about getting to God through Jesus Christ. And then you get heaven, that place thrown in as a bonus. But the biggest thing about the gospel is that you get to have a right relationship with your creator. It's not about loving Christianity. It's about loving Christ. It's not about bad people getting to be good or good people getting to be better. It's about dead people coming alive. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It's about one person who on an old two pieces of wooden timber in just an obscure part of the world, giving his all that had the potential to impact the eternal destiny of every human being that's ever lived. It is about Jesus. And where you can share your heart about Jesus, there is just something about that person and that name that when that name is sown, God works and God draws and God just does things in people's lives when that's the good news message. And I think we need to be careful today that we're not just passing on church stuff or religion things, but we're sharing out of our heart about this one who rose from the dead and lives today, and he's at work today. Make sure uh, you're talking about Jesus. Here, uh, here I want to give you uh, just a few things that I use all the time uh, under picking a method. And, uh, you know, some of you guys might have down the way that you share and where you do. This might be review or you mo- might get a new tool in your tool belt here. But for some of you, you might be developing a real heart to want to share. When the door opens up and someone says, what is it, what is it that you're all about? Or, or explain this to me. I believe it's best to get started. You know, as a kid, I needed training wheels to ride my bike. And, you know, I kind of got started that way. And eventually I got to take them off. But I found when I got started sharing with others, I needed some training wheels. And I needed a method or two that I could kind of learn that was easy to remember so that when an opportunity came, I could share a verbal witness. And, And there was some clarity attached to it. And so here's a few, maybe one of these is something you identify with, can remember, maybe you want to jot these down. You know, some of you work with Awanas. Some of you got children that you want to explain this good news message to them. Uh, Some of you work with students or with teenagers, or you just want to be with neighbors. One of these might serve you very well. And so these are tools for your tool belt. Uh, I use this one all the time, the goodness scale. And... uh, you know, I say to somebody that's interested in learning more about, uh, about Jesus, I say, you want to understand it, think about a goodness scale, uh, zero to ten. And let's just uh, think of all human beings on that scale, tens of, is perfection, that's where God's at. But if you just think of human beings on a goodness scale, and I try to get people involved, and I say to them, zero to ten, goodness scale. Let's think about all the people who've lived in the last hundred years 
And let's put the best person that's ever lived and the worst person that's ever lived on the goodness scale. And I kind of get people involved. When I'm with a big group, I just ask them for names. If I'm sitting at a restaurant and I've got a little napkin and I'm drawing this out, the goodness scale, I'll just say, let's start with who's the worst person that's ever lived in the last hundred years? What would you say? All right, we've got to vote for Hitler. Did I hear Stalin? (laughs) Who'd he say? Hillary. (laughs) Next suggestion. Anybody else? Okay, got two votes for Stalin. Mao. Whoo. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got a lot of possibilities here. Usually I say, let's just take one for illustrative purpose, purposes and let's just put Hitler down here. Just a little over zero when he was a little kid. Maybe he was good to his grandma. I don't know. But he's, you know, just below one. Then I say, over the last hundred years, uh, who's your suggestion for the person that's lived the best life? Last hundred years. All right, we've got two votes for Mother Teresa. All right, we've got Billy Graham, Chuck Colson. Anybody else? I've heard Gandhi. I've heard Martin Luther King. I've heard my godly grandma. You know, I've heard a bunch of names, but usually I'll just say, uh, let's just take two of them, Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, and let's just for illustrative purposes put them at a nine. I say next, uh, where, uh, where would you put yourself? Where would you put yourself? And I tell people, don't be too hard on yourself. You know, I know you and none of you are Hitler. But especially if I'm talking to a politician, I'll say, don't you dare try to say you're up there with Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. I know you too well. <laughs> But I'll just say to people, where would you put yourself on that goodness scale? Where do you think most people put themselves? Five. I mean, I found that over and over. Occasionally there's a six. Occasionally there's a four. But most people put themselves somewhere right there uh, around uh, a five. Uh, Then I asked them... uh, I had a guy in prison once. I had a whole, whole, whole huge group. He yells out, I'm a 7.5, you know. He, he, he must have thought he was innocent, you know. <laughs> but then I'll ask them the next question. And, you know, their minds are kind of turning here. But I'll say, according, according to the Word of God, according to the Scriptures, if you, based upon your own goodness your own righteousness, your own merit. If you were to get into heaven and have relationship with God, on this goodness scale, according to the word of God, what number would you have to be if you were going to do it 100% on your own? And I can see almost always people's wheels are turning because this is getting real practical and they're tracking with me. And I can see that most people I talk to are thinking, I sure hope God grades on the curve. And I sure hope if I'm a five, Michael's going to say a four or higher. That's what people are thinking. That's what I'm hoping for. And I'll say to them, 
You know, according to the Word of God, if you're going to do it all on your own, the Word of God says that you have to be a perfect ten. A perfect ten. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And uh, I have heard across a, a table at a restaurant and in a group of people, I have heard audible gasps when they get that and their wheels again are turning and they're thinking, if Michael's shooting straight with me, if the Word of God really teaches that, if that's really the way of God, I'm in deep weeds. I'm in deep weeds. And I let that sink in a little bit. Because I don't know about your communities, but in my community, there's a lot of religiosity. And often people do think in my areas that God grades on the curve. And when they hear it's a perfect 10, they ask me this question often, then is there any hope? And when God's revealing that to them and they ask that question, I couldn't be more delighted because that's at the point where next to this goodness scale, I kind of draw this out and get to talk to them about the person of Jesus Christ. What we could not do for ourselves because, you know, we're somewhere down here and we've all fallen short. And I tell them, I've been in a room three times with Billy Graham. You know, Billy Graham was kind of right over there and I was here. Billy Graham never claimed to be perfect. And he would never want to be considered a nine. This is just for illustrative purposes. And I never got to be with Mother Teresa, but I've read a lot of her writings. She never claimed to be perfect. And in fact, she was very honest with her doubts and her shortcomings. But here's here's what God provided in his son what we could not do for ourselves because we all fell short at a bloodstained cross and then an empty tomb that came three days later. God made a way for each of us to have peace with God. I don't know if this would ever serve you, but I think you can probably remember this, can't you? Maybe you'd want to draw it out for your cousin or for someone that lives in your neighborhood when they say, what is it that you're all about? Maybe you just draw this out and share about this one that gave so much. Uh, it's the, uh, the goodness scale, I call it. Do done. Uh, this is just one if I have uh, a few, uh, just 30 seconds. I often say religion is spelled D-O, do. It's what people try to do to earn their way to God. The faith, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what Jesus has done for us. The work has been accomplished. No one can earn their way there through doing. It comes as a free gift through the work that he has done. Just something a little short that I use uh, all the time. Uh, Let's see, sometimes the little circles there under six, sometimes I just draw this out. And this is usually after I've been with people for a while and we're having a little bit deeper conversations. But sometimes I'll just draw out these circles for people. And I just ask them, you know, kind of from where you're coming from, what are you trusting in to be right with God? Are you trusting in your works, the W, faith plus works, or, whoops, that should be F, faith alone. I just kind of ask them that question. It's kind of a little diagnostic tool I use. And often people are real honest. Often people say, I'm I'm right here. 
And often I'll just tell them my story. That's what I used to think. And if they're open to it, I'll turn to a couple verses and say, let's just look and take a look at what the Word of God has to say. Maybe that would serve you uh, as well. I've got down there at the bottom uh, a testimony. Uh, a testimony. You know, sometimes it's just telling your story. Like Legion must have told. Like some of you have told me your story this weekend. The best thing sometimes people want to hear is what happened in a real-life situation. And if you're a friend, most people would like to hear your story. And God uses that or can use it in a significant way. There's a number nine I put down here. I'm doing this all the time now with leaders. Uh, when I get together with them, I'll, uh, I'll just give them a, a little homework assignment if they're willing. And my whole approach is, would you be really willing to read two chapters from the Gospels? Two chapters. I often say to people, have you ever checked out the biography of Jesus? Man, the biography of Jesus, it's not that long, but it is so intriguing. W- would you want to kind of explore that with me? And, and, you know, I don't know if I've got a no answer from the people in the last six months or so. Uh, they say, yes, I assign them two chapters. And they get together, read it. They have a few thoughts about it, sometimes some questions. We just get together and talk about it. Uh, about, a, about two years ago, I had uh, one of the guys running for mayor in, in my city. And uh, I invited him to my leader faith forums where I have the elected leaders in my region come together. And, and he came uh, twice, but he called me up after the second time. And he said, uh, Michael, could I get together for lunch with you? And I said, sure. And he said, I want to tell you, I'm absolutely embarrassed when I go to that leader faith forum. We look into the Bible. Everybody else knows everything. I don't know anything. He didn't know. The other people don't know anything either. But uh, he says, could you get together with me one-on-one and give me the cliff notes of the Bible? You know, kind of take me through it so I kind of understand what it is. And then I can return to the group. We've been meeting every two weeks since then. And I tell you, when you get together one-on-one with a guy who's willing to read two chapters, two chapters every two weeks, I tell you, that guy begins to interact and think about it and grow. It was about eight months in. He's just reading, reading. And I'd signed him John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. John 3 and John 4. He comes in, and his demeanor was kind of different. And I could tell he's kind of got something to share And he says, I found out in John chapter 3, it's kind of like Jesus is the living water and you need that living water to live. And John chapter 4, it's kind of like it's saying that you need to be born of God. And and I mean, he was saying this with such enthusiasm. I said to him, called him by name, and I said, did you cross the line of the faith because we've been talking about that? And he said, I did. I did. I tell you, those kind of times never get old to me. There's no buzz like seeing that God's done a work in someone's life. It all came because he was investing a little bit of time, two chapters in the Gospels. Uh, Here's here's another one that I use. Maybe you could use this in your home. I've used this uh, the last couple years at at, uh, Christmas and Easter. In all the groups that I lead, uh, I've used this. You recognize this from home or something like it? Dartboard. What do you get if what if you get if you get a bullseye? What is it, Stephen? Hundred points. 
Here's what I do. When every guy walks in from the Bible study, or I open up my home for Christmas, and I have a bunch of people in from the neighborhood, I'll give them three darts. When they walk in the door, they get three darts. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll let them throw three darts, and then whatever their score is in those three darts, I write it on a card. Ooh, look what Stephen got. 225. Oh, here's the next person that threw three darts. 120. Oh, three darts. 75. Whoops. Three darts. 30. I'll give them a card. I'll tell them, hold on to it until the end of the evening. And then I'll, uh, you know, we'll have a party. You know, we'll have goodies to eat. We'll kind of talk. It'll be a nice evening. But at the end of the evening, I'll tell them, hey, come on, let's get together for five minutes or so. I just want to tell the Easter story or I just want to tell the Christmas story. Would you let me do that? And, of course, everybody's going to let me do it. And I say, here's the way I want to tell it tonight. I'll say, these are friends of mine. Would you let me... Would you give me permission to be God for five minutes? Now, guys, don't throw things at me. This isn't heresy. This is an illustration. But I'll say to my friends and kind of ham it up, would you let me be God for five minutes? And, you know, after a while, you know, my friends, all right, all right, Michael, you be God for five minutes. And I'll say to them, well, I just want you to know a few things. In Michael's universe, in Michael's kingdom, this is the way it works. Uh, in my kingdom, in order to get into my heaven, you've got to be able to throw darts. And you've got to get a 300 to get into my kingdom, my heaven. That's the way it works. And I can tell you, those guys that are friends of mine in the room, when they look down at their card, would you get a 75? You know, most of my friends start to grumble and say, we don't like you being God. We're not sure about this whole thing. And after they grumble for a little while, I'll say to them, well, you don't know the whole story. But uh, as God of my heaven and my universe, here's something else you don't know. As God, I throw darts, and I throw darts really well. In fact, I've been throwing darts all morning. Every time I ever throw darts, here's what I get. I get a 300. I get a perfect score. That's what I do. And in my heaven, in my universe, my kingdom, this is what I have a heart to do because I love people. I love to trade my 300s for your score so that you can be in my heaven. And so I'll start turning to people in the room and I'll start turning to the person with a 75. 75. Would you like to make a swap? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Swap? That's what they say. Absolutely. Who else is Where's our third? What is it? 30? 30. Would you like to make a swap? A swap? All right. That sounds like an excited man there. Who else has got one? You want to make a swap? Absolutely. Best deal in town, right? You know, Stephen, oh man, he got a 225. Here's what happens sometimes with the guy who scored the most. He kind of looks at everybody else and says... Man, I am a whole lot better than the 30. 
I think that I'm good enough. I don't know that I need to make a swap. I think my 225 should be sufficient. And sometimes there's some pushback from the guy that gets the 225 and he does not swap. I'll swap. (laughs) Here's what I say to them. Here's kind of the Christmas story, the Easter story. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin, he who knew no sin. Do you know who the he is? Yeah. He knew what? No sin. He who knew no sin became righteousness, gave us his righteousness on our behalf in Christ Jesus. This one who knew no sin, he made a choice to take our sin, to take our 30, our 75, our 130, or our 225, and he took that sin himself, and he chose to swap it for his perfect righteousness so that anybody who by faith receives Christ and makes that swap They have right standing before God. They are seen by the holy God of the universe as acceptable and righteous because of what was done on their behalf. You want to swap? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I go through that sometimes, people begin to say, this is what Jesus did for us. He took our sin where we fell short and he was gracious enough to give us his righteousness so that every person could have right standing before God, peace with God. And I tell you, this whole good news thing, it is the best deal in all the world if you get it, if you get it. Sometimes I use that. Maybe you could use that in your family or in your workplace. Let me stop there. Any questions? Any comments? These are just thoughts for you, maybe tools. You all have used the bridge illustration. How many of you know the bridge illustration? Well, I don't know if that's even half. Real quick, this is the one I probably use the most. You might know it after I put it up here. You know, two cliffs, God, us. You know, who's God? Loving, holy, righteous, the creator. Lots you can say about God. Us, we're made in God's image. We're different than rocks and trees and chimpanzees. God longs to have a personal relationship with every person, but every person has sinned, and that sin has caused a separation between us and God. We try the best we can to earn our way to God, but you can't earn your way to God. So God provided a bridge, and the bridge is the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's the bridge illustration. Usually I draw out one thing that we choose is faith. Faith. And I draw out three, I'm not an artist, but imagine these are people. Stretch your thinking there. And I just say, look at this person. This person's very far from God. Maybe a, per, maybe a minus 10. Maybe doesn't even believe God. Maybe doesn't know or believe the story of the cross. Far from God. This is a person right on the edge. 
They've heard the story of the cross. They know about the empty tomb. They believe in their head that there is a God, a real God. They probably believe in a heaven and earth. But for some reason, they have never humbled themselves and put their faith in Christ and crossed the bridge. The third little man over here, some point 30 years ago or last week, they saw their need that sin separated them from God. They understood the meaning of the cross. And at some point, they chose to put faith in Christ. I say to the person, which one of these little people are you? Just which, which are you? Often people will tell me, right here, right here. I went to one of the elected leaders of the state, statewide, uh, before our last session, went into his office. He says to me, uh, how can I understand the Bible unless somebody shows me what's in it? That's what he said. I said, would you mind if I just take a few minutes and sum up what the entire book's all about? I drew that right there. You know, poor artistry and all. I asked him, where are you at? He said, I'm right here. Right here. I know a lot. I've never crossed that bridge. I just said, would you like to do it right now? You can talk to God and just say, I, I want to cross that bridge. I want to trust Christ. I want you to forgive my sins right now. He did it. He did it. You know, God can use these kind of tools to assist you in sharing a verbal witness. Let's see, Ron? Yes, uh, going back to the uh, scale, would you say God's word says that we'd be perfect? Do you get pushed back on that one as far as the authority of the word of God? Uh, you know, people where I'm at, they don't know the word of God at all. <laughs> you know, so I, I usually don't. I usually don't. People aren't arguing. You know, there's a few, but uh, I don't find most people know the Word of God uh, in a lot those kind of ways argue back. They might not buy it. They might not be ready. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I've drawn this out. I've drawn all these out. The bridge illustration. You know, people aren't just falling on their knees every time I do that. Sometimes it's just sowing one of those seeds along the way. Maybe they're a minus six, and it's the first time they're ever hearing, what might this cross be about? And so you share these things, it's a seed to be sown. You know, sometimes it, it's their time where God is at work. You, remember, it's God who saves. It's not one of these illustrations. The gospel is not three points or five points. The gospel is Jesus. And the power is in God, God alone. Sometimes God uses little tools like this. But, uh, you know, a lot of times people say, I'll think about it, or thank you, or, you know, sometimes they'll have questions. If I may clarify my question, I'm sorry. What I'm getting at is, do they openly say, well, I don't think the Bible has the right to say that, or I don't accept that the Bible is the standard that we should go by, you know, I figure I'm seven, and that's probably good enough. So yeah, I, I've just I've found all kinds of points. If you're sharing with someone, you know, a minus five, you know, up to a ten, I mean, they're going to have a lot of times some of those twelve questions we had on that sheet. They might have all those questions, and those are things that sometimes you need to have conversation about. When people get down to, you know, often, 
you know, minus two, minus one, you know, they're kind of, they've had a lot of sowing into their life. They've been thinking about these things. You know, it's like C.S. Lewis said, you know, one time, you know, God's the hound of heaven and he's just kind of drawn them in. God's doing something in their life. You know, I find that they're much more than beginning to be open to uh, receptivity to Jesus. The further they're away, the more they have these questions, the more there's pushback, or there's more indifference, or that's nice. Oh, well, that's nice, but they're not wanting to do anything with it. Somebody else? All right. Let's, uh, let's keep going here into the second section. Um, the harvest is ripe. Uh, this I find is huge, especially when it comes to men. Uh, open doors and open nerves. Paul talks in Colossians 4. He talks about conducting ourselves with, with wisdom toward outsiders. He talks about praying for open doors. Or sometimes I refer to these as open nerves. And uh, I find uh, in that, again, minus 10 down to where they cross the line, I find that when you're up toward minus 10, you need to be very sensitive to open nerves and open doors. Very sensitive. A lot of times when someone's at a minus 10, you draw out the gospel and ask them if they want to trust Christ. You know, they're just going to, you know, often just push that back uh, right away. I find a lot of times men... Uh, it's these open nerve kind of things that get them in curious and create some discussion. And here's kind of like a little list I put here. These are a lot of the things that men are yearning for, but often they're looking in the wrong places. And it's often conversations in these areas that can make a significant impact to have conversation with other men and often share out of our own life stories. Take, for instance, peace. You know, men, uh, eventually, they get to the point where, uh, you know, they're looking for peace. And this world will not offer peace. There is no rest. There's no peace for the wicked. There is just not. They can look like they've got it all together, but if they do not know Jesus, they do not have peace in their heart. Don't let the outward veneer fool you. Men begin yearning for that. And sin wears off. You know, Hebrews talks about the passing pleasure of sin. I remember as a 23-year-old, I'm with a guy who'd been on Navigator staff for, for 50 years. He comes up to me talking about that passage in Hebrews. Michael, if you haven't found sin to be pleasurable, you haven't tried the right sin. That's what he told me. But he said, you need to remember, it's always the passing pleasure of sin. For a little short period of time, it might give some peace and happiness or seem to. But it always wears off. If people are going through things, and this is an issue in their life, you know, think here. Here's what normally happens. If our external world, if our external world is chaos... Well, usually, someone's internal world is in chaos. That's the way the world usually works. You know, it's all built on circumstances. But in Jesus, in Jesus, you can find that we can live 
above and despite the circumstances. And it's possible for the life of Jesus to flow in us so that even if externally we have chaos going in in our lives, there can be a measure of calm or peace in the internal parts of our life, right? You ever been through things and you experience some of that peace of God? I'm seeing some head shake. You know, if you know that sense where, boy, all of this is out of control, but I've found that there is a peace that surpasses all comprehension. Most men think the definition of peace is, you know, that scene out in the valley where the, you know, the, the cows are grazing and the sheep are lowing and, you know, it's the sun is shining and it's a perfect day. Most define peace that way. That's what I want. Biblical peace sometimes is the storm is raging, the lightning is flashing, the thunder's roaring, and there's that little bird hid in the cleft of the rock. Boy, when you've experienced that and you have a little story to tell another man when their life has fallen apart, I've been there in some way. I don't know how I ever could have gotten through it. But there was a peace that I experienced that was real. I tell you, there's, there's not many people who won't at least listen to that and be curious about that. Often that's an open door. Often that is kind of that area where often there's a good conversation with another guy. Any of you had one of those conversations with another guy over peace? Yeah. Yeah, over here. You know, sometimes it's loneliness. You know, human beings are wired up for connectivity. We're experiencing that here. There's yearnings in our heart to have relationship. Some guys are lonely. A lot of guys are lonely. I'm telling you, a lot of guys want a friend. When you draw near to a guy and you just kind of live that out, and sometimes you talk about, it's good to be with you. It's, it's good to spend time. I tell you, that's something that opens doors for conversation. You know, you just look at this list. This is what I find in Louisiana. When it comes to religion, it, it's just, you know, eventually people get to the point where, yeah, I go through the motions, I jump through the hoops, but, you know, it's not doing anything for me. Uh, I, I had uh, the cup illustration there in the illustrations. Sometimes I take across the table from a guy I'm at lunch with, and I'll say, hey, could I borrow your coffee cup? And he'll kind of look at me like, well, okay. And I'll say, let the cup stand for religion or religiosity. That's what most people end up talking about. Hey, my church is better than yours. Hey, my church has this. You know, yours has this. It's all a talk about religion. I'll say to them, when that's the focus on things, it's kind of like having this coffee cup, and every once in a while, once a week or once a year at Christmas or Easter, you stick your tongue out and you lick the outside of the cup. And, you know, the guy's looking at me like, what is he, where's he going with this? But, you know, if you lick the outside of a coffee cup, do you ever get your thirst quenched? Never. If you're just involved in religiosity, you will never, ever get your thirst quenched. I'll say to them, to me, it doesn't matter what the outside of the cup is like, as long as there's the living water in the cup. 
the living water in the cup quenches someone's thirst. And often, at least in Louisiana, they'll kind of begin to get there's a difference between religion licking the outside of a cup and drinking from the one who calls themselves living water. It's just having those conversations about the difference you found. My story is I kind of was religious a bunch of years of my life, but I didn't know Christ. I knew some things about Christ, but I was far from knowing him. I can identify. Identity issues are huge. In a man's life, you know, what's a man wrap his identity in most of the time? Work. What else? Money. Family. Stuff. You know, it can be all kinds of things. Your title, sports, athleticism. I don't know. Usually it's in those kind of things. I was with a guy maybe three years ago, and here's what he told me. He said, I grew up, and every time I ever fell short, my dad told me, you're just a piece of... You know what he's finding? He said, you're just a piece of... You're just a piece of... Every year growing up, that's what he got. And when he turned 18 years of age, you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to get out of the house. He didn't care how he did it. He ended up going into the military, becoming a pilot, very successful. And then he got into the business world, very successful. He started to have a perfectionistic kind of way of looking at life. And he was not around his dad, but every time he made a mistake, you know what he said to himself? I'm just a piece of, I'm just a piece of, I'm just a piece of. And this went on, and you know, often if you've got wrong identity things, you can kind of ride that out for a while, but usually when a man hits the middle years, it's going to begin to affect him in lots of ways, and some things are going to fall apart. You have conversations about how you've worked through identity issues I mean, a man sometimes wants to have that conversation about who am I? Because what they thought before isn't working and it's falling apart. And that's the same, it's the same with uh, ladies too. How many of you got daughters? Okay. Oh, half the room. That's how it works, I guess. Here's what a friend of mine did. He, uh, he was one of these deals. His daughter was young. Wife was going out. He got the assignment. Take care of Maggie. You two are spending time together. Of course, he kind of got preoccupied with something else. And Maggie was in the other room. And uh, Maggie comes out, and she's got lipstick all over her face, everywhere, all over her clothes. And she just says these words. Daddy... I've got to have lipstick on to be beautiful. I've got to have lipstick on to be beautiful. That's a very teachable moment, isn't it? You know what my friend said? Oh, Maggie, it's not lipstick that makes you beautiful. It's mascara and blush. (laughs) Did he say that? No, he didn't say that. Here's a very teachable moment, and it's an identity kind of thing. Here's what he said. Oh, Maggie, honey, it's not lipstick that makes you beautiful. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He made you beautiful, and he made you just the way you're supposed to be. 
oh, Maggie, God's done so much in your life, and that's who you are, Maggie. He loves you with his whole heart. It's this identity thing that we, when we begin to have conversations, whether it's with a little girl or, or you know, a guy who's just thinking through, who am I? Because the big questions in life, the biggest maybe, who do we say that Jesus is and who does Jesus say we are? Ultimately, boy, you get those two things right, there's going to be something good that flows out of that. These are just some of these open doors. Any comments on these? You've you seen these to be true? You're sensitive to these things. Often, it isn't that you're just laying out the gospel for someone, but you're sharing that part of the overflow of the gospel that's real as you share life about how this has impacted uh, your life, what you've learned. Okay, let's say Comments? Stephen, how are we doing here? How are we doing time-wise? Tell me how much I got left. Thirteen, ready to wrap up. Let me uh, I'll hold. Uh, let me hold uh, a couple, one of these for tomorrow. But uh, let me just wrap up with uh, your problems become your pulpit. We'll talk about don't be afraid tomorrow. Your problems become your pulpit. Um, the more you're willing to be honest as a man and be vulnerable and share your story. Often there's things that come out of that that are just gold. I don't know. It's just the way things work. You know, I find with leaders, whatever tiny, tiny little measure of success I've had in life, leaders I meet with, other men, they, could, they don't give a rip about what I've done or haven't done. A lot of times they want to know about how I've failed, times I've been betrayed, and how you got through that. I, I think just... Uh, it was uh, a few months ago. I was uh, leading this faith forum, and the coroner, uh, he comes, our elected coroner comes to our faith forum. He comes up to me at the end and says, hey, I'm at the big uh, Catholic high school. They're going to pack it with all the kids, and uh, they're going to do a whole day on uh, opiate abuse. And he says, would you come, and would you be on the panel? We're going to have the head of the FBI in the area, head of DEA, the U.S. Attorney is going to be there uh, emceeing it. We're going to have the coroner, and it would be you. Can you come and share your story? And I just said, yeah, I'll come. And I went there, and I was kind of the, the real-life story because last January, my niece, 21-year-old niece, Taylor, she had had three surgeries right in a row at John Hopkins University on her nasal cavity, and none of them worked. And she was just in pain and on medication and beginning to rely on some of that medication uh, to get her through. And uh, no one really knew about that. But one night she tried uh, heroin that happened to be laced with fentanyl. And her boyfriend did too. And her boyfriend immediately had a reaction. And Taylor called 911. And the rescue squad got there just in time to get him to the emergency room to save his life. And Taylor says, 
get him to the hospital as fast as you can, and I'll follow in the car and meet you in the emergency room. And they never thought to ask her, did you take the same thing that he took? And when they drove off, her reaction then kicked in, and that fentanyl stuff, I mean, it just stops the breathing. It just is bad news. And my 21-year-old, straight-A, senior in college, wonderful, beautiful young lady died. And, uh, you know, I can't even imagine there when the police showed up at my brother's door and, and knocked. And, uh, you know, I had to go up and do the funeral. And, you know, when a kid dies, you know, there's hundreds of high school kids that are all wrapped up in that. And my brother and sister-in-law, they're just heroic, heroic in this. And they're taking care of everybody else in their grief. But my brother says it's harder a year later than it was when it happened. It's harder right now. And uh, so I got to go and just tell this story to all these high school kids. And a lot of them are the ones I play basketball with. And the basketball guys are coming up to me and having conversation with me. Uh, you got a story of some type where you just share your brokenness. How you had to forgive someone sometime, and it was really hard. A time you lost your job. Uh, you know, a time things fell ap apart. Uh, some of you probably been through a divorce. I don't know. But some people need to hear that kind of story and that there's life afterwards, the loss of a child. Your problems can become your pulpit. You guys might never stand be behind a pulpit, but 90% of the people God uses in the Bible are not pastors and priests, right? They're people like whom? Like whom? Who's going to say me? Yeah, me. 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 You. I tell you guys, there's a grace adventure waiting for you, and it's right around the corner. And if you just make yourself available to Jesus, I don't know when he's going to open the door. I don't know who's going to come across your path. I don't know who it is that there's divine appointments for you to have a conversation with. But believe me in this, because I know the heart of God. One week from now, one month from now, three months from now, there is going to be someone in your life. You wouldn't be here this weekend if God didn't have someone that he's equipping, encouraging you, and preparing you for. And so... Let your problem become your pulpit. Amen? Amen? All right. I'm over time. You guys go.